Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sarah Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Rosie Lyon. Rosie suffered domestic abuse for over nine years. And even though she left that abusive relationship, she is continuing to experience financial and economic abuse. Rosie works in banking and she decided she didn't want to suffer in silence and that something had to be done. So she entered the Chartered Bankers Institute's Young Banker of the Year worldwide competition with an idea bringing around a fairer financial future to sufferers and survivors of domestic abuse. And she won the competition. So I am super excited to welcome Rosie Lyon. So I am super excited to welcome Rosie Lyon to the show. Welcome, Rosie. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Oh, I am very excited about this. I always love to see someone standing up for injustice and making such a positive, empowering dis- difference. And this isn't just UK wide, this is globally. So Rosie, please, let's go back to the beginning for my listeners and tell us what you went through, first of all, and then how this has impacted you. Yeah, so when I was 17, I got in my first proper relationship and I was with the individual for just over seven years. Um, The seven years were actually quite rocky. I didn't realise, you know, I just thought it was a normal relationship, but there was a lot of sort of arguments and different things like that. And um, we brought a joint mortgage property together and we were living in it for about a year and a half. Um, and it come to January of 2019 and I was a bit like, I don't think this is working anymore. I just wasn't happy in the relationship. I was just tired. I was having to do all the cooking, cleaning, like sorting everything out, like financially as well. And it was just like, I don't want this anymore. So I spoke to him and I said, we can give it another go if you want to see how it goes. He said, yeah, that's, yeah, if you wouldn't mind. So I left it to about June 2019. And I was a bit like, no, it's still not working for him. I woke up one day and I was just a bit like, I'm fed up. Um, You know, he said to me, he'd rung me, he was at the shops at the time and he was like, I've lost the joint bank account card. And he had a personal account at the time. And he was like, can you transfer me £80? And I think that was like the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever the say it is, because I was just like, I can't put up with this anymore. So this wasn't the first time this has happened. And I know that he was quite controlling in lots of areas during your relationship. Yeah, so I didn't realise it was domestic abuse until I was educated and empowered, as they say. And Mm. it was more um, like emotional, psychological and financial um, during the relationship. So it was more like, you know, it would always be my fault or if I was moaning because I was like, can you clean up after yourself, for instance? But it would be turned around that I was nagging and leave him alone. It was basically my job to do that. 
financially when we were together he kept losing his job um, and I used to help him with his CV apply for different jobs I thought that was just like a role of a partner as such so I'd always lend him money um, when we were saving for our property the majority of the money come from me when we moved in I we redecorated it all but the majority of the money come from myself and my family when we got a joint bank account, because it was easier for the bills, he used to take money out of the account and then it would stress me out and I'd be nagging, why are you taking £100, £150 out? Um, he was doing drugs at the time um, and it was just a bit like, uh, but then he'd turn it around to me and be like, will you go to the pub with the girls each week and spend £10 on a bottle of wine? So he's like, so I should be allowed to take money out as and when I want. And the money just kept, there was just more and more, it was daily, money was being taken out of the cash machine. And I was just like, I, I literally, I was like, I can't put up with it anymore because there was so much financial stress because I was financially independent and obviously I work in banking, have done for nearly six years. And it was just like, he's not like, he's not my child. Um, so I should have to be paying financially for him. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very interesting how we normalize it and think, well, that's the role of a partner, as you just said, because yeah. quite often we just think, well, this is normal. And you said this was your first relationship. But even mm-hmm. still, I mean, you know, I have clients who are who've been married for a long time and they're a lot older than you. I mean, you're only 27 now, you know, but to, back then to sort of think that's normal, we minimalize it, we carry on, we think that's our role, but it eats yeah. away at us, doesn't it? How did that impact you, you know, towards the end of that relationship when you decided it, you wanted to get out? What was happening that actually tipped that balance? Yeah, I think it was like the stress, the financial stress of it. Obviously, it's the first time I'd ever had like a mortgage. I got my mortgage at 22. It's something I always wanted in life was a mortgage. And I got that. And it was like having to pay the mortgage, all these bills. It was a first time for me. So, you know, having to budget that to make sure it fitted into the wage. I earned more money at the time. When he'd lose his job, for instance, it was really difficult because it was like my sort of wage. And it was like, well, you know, then I'm like scrimping away, not looking after myself as such, like not spending the harder money, you know, that I work for on myself for going out, enjoying myself because it was like bills, um, food, you know, everything like that. And then basically he was, you know, we had the joint account, the personal account, the money was being transferred into the joint account from his personal account with his wages. And it was a bit like, Sometimes he'd be like, I'm only going to send over this much because I need this stuff to enjoy my life. And it was like, well, I can't enjoy mine because I'm not spending any money on myself, you know. So it was really, it was the stress of it all. And it was just like, I just can't put up with it. Yeah, it is very draining. And financial stress is, financial abuse is something that hasn't been widely talked about. I mean, I know coercive control and emotional abuse, you know, which which financial abuse is part of that, but it's, you know, that's a lot more in the press and the media now, which is great, but that financial stress that financial abuse puts you under is, can be devastating, extremely draining as well, especially when you're going to work every day. Okay, so what happened next then? You, you decided that you wanted out. How, how did that happen? Yeah, so one morning, obviously I say I woke up and I was like, can't do this anymore. You come home from shopping, I sat him down I was like look it's it's over I can't we've I've tried I'm not happy um it was a two-bed property at the time so 
but he took it really well uh, surprisingly I was I really struggled for about a week after because I was a bit like you know I'm used to this lifestyle and you, you're letting go of it it's relief but it's also like what's next for me like you know I've been used to being with someone all this time and now I'm on my own at like 24 years old and you know so I stayed in the property because I was paying for it um he moved into the spare room and it was all fine and then that was in June 2019 and I was speaking to estate agents they come around and valued the property and I was like great so it's ready to go on the market but I just need his consent and during this time in sort of the July period I kept sort of you know saying we need to put this on the market we need to sell this um and he was like yeah 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 we can we can but then he would he started doing things subtly where he wouldn't clean up after himself and expect me to still clean up after him or expect me to still do his washing and you know and it was stressing me out even more and then there was one stage where he completely switched I was looking at the joint bank account how much you know splitting why how to split everything I would split the joint bank bank account and I was like what savings there were how much I put into the property you know to try and make it amicable as possible and I was on the train to work at the time I worked an hour and 45 minutes away from home so I was on the train it was about half six in the morning and I get a phone call like and he was shouting at me down the phone saying why are you sorting all this out I owe you nothing um I'm going to burn your house down with your mum and dad inside I'm going to smash your car up you won't be able to get back into this property by the time you're home from work so I, I instantly panicked um the burning down my mum and dad's house with them inside I thought it's an empty threat um I didn't really because I was like that's not going to happen um but the car thing like you know he used to borrow my car a lot so he had the keys so I was like and he was inside the property and there was a latch on the inside of our property where you could lock it from the inside and no one would be able to get in so I had to ring work and say I can't come in today and I had to get back on the train and go back home um, and there was a big argument and then he'd switch and he'd be fine again and it was about August of 2019 I was like I can't live here anymore the emotional abuse like for instance he'd leave his dirty washing on the kitchen floor so I'd reluctantly pick it up and put it in his bedroom and he'd get in from work when he was actually in a job and he'd chuck it all back and start swearing shouting banging things around and I was like I can't live like this anymore because I'm in fear um so I moved back to my parents I packed a bag moved back to my parents and I was still paying the mortgage and the bills because it coming out of my account um, and he'd stopped paying by this stage and I was going back every weekend to get my post and saying you know can we sell this property but every time I went around there it would be untidy like you know you wouldn't be able to take photos of that because for instance if I was buying a property and I saw that online I'd be like it would put me off even looking at the property um, and then you know I was like I can't do this anymore he and then in October that's when things sort of completely changed um, in regards to the post-separation abuse um, I had just accepted a new job where it was in the same um, industry but in a different department 
and I was it was a Friday and I was like oh this is brilliant I was on such a high and I was on the way home and he texted me and was like can I borrow the car I've got a new job doing a, a takeaway delivery and at the time I'd put the car up for sale again it was in my name but he was adamant that he was owed something from that car even though it wasn't his and he didn't pay the finance so I just wanted to get rid of it to just you know keep the peace I couldn't be dealing with the stress and I thought this car's up for sale you're not putting loads of miles on it but over text I knew he'd flip his lid or anything like that so I said can I come and meet you um, at the property and we'll discuss it and he said I'm busy tonight can we do it tomorrow and I said that's fine um, I was sitting on the sofa in my pyjamas um, watching telly about half eight on a Friday. A bit boring for a Friday night, but there we go. <laughs> and um, I got a text message saying, you can come round now if you want. And I thought, well, I can come round whenever. It's my property as well. <laughs> but I got in my car in my pyjamas, drove round there. It's about a five-minute drive away. And it was dark because it was October at this time as well. And I was like, okay. I'm ready to tell him. He was telling me all about his day, what he'd been up to. And I thought, hmm, this is really nice. Like a nice little chat. And he said, so can I borrow the car? And I said, look, we broke up in June. It's now October. Um, we need to cut ties. We need to sell this property and I need to get rid of the car. So no, you can't borrow it. And that's when he switched. It was like, you know, like turning a light switch on or off. And he started saying how much he never loved me, how ugly I was, how um, he's a better person since um, he left me, when it was the other way around, obviously, um, that I was controlling, um, he could do whatever he pleased. And he got up and he started slamming things about and went into his bedroom. So I didn't actually react during that time. And I just got up to put my shoes on because we had new carpet at the time. So I took them off at the door. Um, to leave the property and he'd come into the doorway and started barging me back and he was shouting really loudly at me like I don't I don't even remember now to this day what he was sort of shouting but I was like get off me and I started shouting for help because he kept barging and barging me and we was living in a block of flats and it was a block of like six flats so there weren't many people in the property but the walls were quite thin so you'd be able to hear someone if they were shouting um but no one come obviously and then he pushed me to the floor and I dropped my car keys and my phone and he went down to grab the car keys to try and take the car but he missed so I was able to grab them and he was standing over over me pointing at me shouting at me and I was able to grab my phone and I rung the police I rang 999 and he realized I rang the police and he ran off um and then that's when all the fun and games started to happen with um, all going to the police, having to do statements, going to call, getting non-molestation orders and different things like that, really. Gosh, I mean, that's just so scary. I mean, gosh. And they do say, don't they, that actually in the UK, the stats show that 30 percent of domestic homicides happen within three months of separation. Yeah. And they also a bit longer than that. But they also say that, you know, the, the relationship doesn't have to have been violent before it, you know, quite often it's emotional abuse, it's coercive control, financial control. And then that just tips over 
because that's, you know, when you start to pull away from them, they're losing control over you. So they shift up a, a gear or two that, I mean, gosh, poor you, Rosie, that's just a horrible. Thank you for sharing that. So, so what happened then? I mean, I know that there's been challenges that have continued since then, haven't there? Yeah. So what happened then is obviously I, again, even though it's at the time, it, obviously it become physical. So I'd realized domestic abuse. And I knew nothing about domestic abuse at the time. Um, I just thought domestic abuse is physical. And, you know, quite a lot of people do think that until they're educated. And I can put my hands up and say I thought the same. But because I come from a banking background, I kind of, I rung the bank with the mortgage and I let them know. Not that they could do much about it at the time. Um, I rung the management company to the flats. I rung all these different people to let them know this had happened. Um, and then I was trying to find a way because I knew no signposting. No one talked about domestic abuse at the time around my area anyway. And I was like, what do I do? Like, how do I keep myself safe? His friends and family lived all around the same area. He was in the property. I couldn't go back for my safety. The police had already said to me, you can't go back like for your safety. So I was like, what am I supposed to do? So I rang refuge because I've got some I think um it was the management company at the time I think they gave me uh, the number for refuge I rung them and they told me about how I can apply for a non-molestation order an occupation order um and they put me through to the council to get um a support worker and so this is where it all went funny because I was it was in November when I applied for the emergency non-molestation it was a month later, but it's because I didn't know that existed. The police hadn't told me that existed. Um, I didn't know about how to do it. I tried to send it off in the post because I didn't know that you had to take it to the actual call, but it got sent back. So it's all things like that. And I ended up going and I had this support worker and she was like, oh, I'm really excited. I've never been to court before. And I was a bit like, oh, my God, because I was quite I was a really reserved, anxious person anyway. And it was completely heightened because of this experience. And I remember going into the call and I was penalised by the judge because she was like, people, if they feel they're in fear, they're supposed to come a day later, not a month later. And obviously I was so scared about being in court. I felt like saying to her, well, actually, I knew nothing about this, but. She granted it. She granted it to me anyway, but she said, I can't do the occupation order without him here. So she said, I'll schedule another court date for December. So a month later, I had to hire a bailiff. His name was Barry and he was amazing. He was really lovely and he did everything and anything until he could give this, this guy the restraining order, like non-molestation order. And um, but my ex found out and he started mucking the bailiff around saying, I'll meet you at this place. And then he wouldn't um, turn up. Bailiff would ring him. Then he'd be like, ha ha, you're a mug and put the phone down. So the bailiff actually went back to court for me to get it granted to be sent via email and WhatsApp. And it got granted and he sent it. And it was, um, it was on a Wednesday night. It got sent, it sent. And I was like, oh, it's in place now. I feel safe. Um, I was at work and on the Thursday I got a Facebook message from someone that he used to work with and I was like it was a photo and I was like what is this he'd posted the non-molestation order on social media and one of the points on it was he's not allowed to post anything to do with this on social media 
but he did and it had my name on it, it had my address um, and there was loads of different comments from his family calling me all the names under the sun and I was like oh my god and at this stage the police were still trying to arrest him for the assault um, they said they couldn't find him but I knew he was living in that property but he just weren't answering the door and it took over a month to get him arrested he handed himself in because obviously once he posted that someone had obviously said to him look one of your points is to say not to post this and you've just done it are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce are you feeling devastated heartbroken sad and anxious if so please know that you are not alone and there is help available sarah davison best known as the divorce coach and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. He handed himself in. Um, by the end of it, he put, got put on bail for the non-molestation order, the breach, but they dropped the charges on the assault because there was no evidence. But at the time, I was just like, okay, that's fine. We'll see what happens with the non-mole. Um, he got charged in the January of 2020 for that, and they had got put a restraining order in place, um, a fine and community service, and that was it. And I was a bit like, oh, okay, but I wanted it to be over because the stress that you go through going through all that is horrific. And then during that time, I hired a solicitor. I was still paying the bills, foolishly, because I thought I had to pay the bills for the property. And my solicitor told me to counsel him, and that's when emotional abuse started in letters to my solicitor. He didn't have a solicitor. So he was like, like you know, he, he was writing to the solicitor. He was being verbally abusive towards me. I was a bit like, I hated, every time I saw my solicitor's name, I was like, no, no, it's going to be another letter. And I used to hate it. And I was still paying the mortgage in full. And it's because where I work in banking, I didn't want poor credit. But it got to September 2020, got legal advice. I spoke to my work and I was just like, I can't pay this. It was £800 a month. I was paying out of my wages. And I was just like, what's next? Like, what am I supposed to do? Um, so I stopped paying verbal abuse continued but my solicitor was very good so then I started to get defaulted credit rating um all in debt and because of covid they put it on hold so to this day even though I broke up with him in 2019 he's still in the property refusing to pay sell or leave and it's gone to court to get repossessed but it's a very very slow process but I think that's about it for that. But yeah. <laughs> Gosh, what a story. So 
I mean, I'm thinking, is there nothing you could have done? Like, could you not, were you not allowed to change the locks when you knew he wasn't in? Yeah. Could you not go in and change the locks? There was nothing you could do. No, like, by law, because it's a joint property and it's jointly owned, I couldn't do that. Um, and I tried, like, to break away from the mortgage, but I couldn't, I wasn't able to. Like, there was no way out of this mortgage. I tried absolutely everything. I could have gone to court to get a, a like, a, a piece of paper that basically says you can sell it without his permission but it could have cost me up to 15 grand in court fees and if you mucked about which clearly he was going to and it was just it was my only option and I felt so stuck and I was just like because I always forward think I was like I'm never gonna be able to get a mortgage again um and like this isn't fair and this is where sort of the whole like rebuilding myself come from yeah, so tell us about that. Tell us, you know, what, what happened, because I know you've done a phenomenal, you know, a lot of work around this area, not just for you, but to help other people as well. Yeah, so I had already asked the bank at the time, the one for the mortgage, and I was like, look, have you got a domestic abuse policy in place? And they were like, no, we don't. Um, by law, we don't need one. So I went to my bank, like the one that I work for, and I said, have you got a domestic abuse policy in place? And they were like, no, by law, we don't need one. And I was like, oh, well, that's not good enough. Because I felt, you know, there was, I had problems with the mortgage um, bank that they didn't understand what I was going through. There was no empathy. There was no procedure. I had problems with the department I was working for at the time. Um, and there was, there was just no way out. And there was no help. And I was just like, things need to change. And there was an email that went round for Young Banker of the Year worldwide. And I was like, oh, I don't know if my idea comes into it. Because at the time, I didn't know what my idea was. I just wanted a policy in place. <laughs> and um, it did. It come through the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, Goal 5 to Stop Domestic Abuse Towards Women and Children. So I was like, OK, I can start it off there. Um, I wouldn't normally go into a competition. I had no confidence. I couldn't even leave the front door. But there was a mentor within the bank that I worked for and I didn't know her, but I said to her, you know, I've got no idea. I've experienced domestic abuse and then post-separation abuse. I was like, do you think it's a good idea? And she was like, I know nothing about domestic abuse. She was like, but let's, let's do it. And so it started with three points on a piece of paper about raising awareness and the policy idea. And then just about trying to get lending opportunities for sufferers and survivors. Um, that have bad credit due to no fault of their own and I've put I sent it off it was a 700 word document and I thought nothing's going to come from it like I just already said to myself nothing's going to come from it you know and a month later it was like you're through to the quarterfinals I was like oh okay and I was like at this time I was a bit like okay it's going to start being posted on social media like LinkedIn Twitter about all of it and I was like my abuse is still obviously alive and kicking and he's close by but I think because of the support that I got from the Charter Banker Institute and all these internal from work and external I thought sod it let's just do it so you know I did the quarterfinals which was a chat 15 minute chat with two people and that was great and then I got put through to the semi-finals there was so this is a worldwide competition with 57 countries I believe in it and the semi-finals was down to 10 people. And I did um, 
it was a PowerPoint presentation. I had to do a speech for 10 minutes to a panel of five judges online because of COVID. Um, and then some Q&A. I was so nervous. <laughs> so I, but I did it. And then an hour later, I got a phone call. And they said, you're through to the final. And I remember, because I'm from, like I say, because I'm from Essex, like, it shouldn't be like that. But I'm like, shut up, are you joking? Like, I didn't even know. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the semi-finals were split into two parts, the other lot had to do their next feature. They were like, you have to keep it to yourself. I was like, I do not want to keep this to myself. <laughs> like, yeah. And then the finals was four people, including myself. I was the only female in the finals. And I was the first UK female in the worldwide competition. And then I won it with my idea for a fairer financial future for sufferers and survivors of domestic abuse. Oh, well done, Rosie. I mean, what Thank an you. amazing story. And good for you. I mean, when you've been in a toxic relationship, you know, your confidence, your self-esteem is going to be low. And you've said that you were, you were struggling with that, too, and had no belief in yourself. But yeah, and it's great to see that someone there saw that potential and, you know, that mentor you talked about in the bank that helped you as well, which, you know, is great, isn't it? When people can just support other people who have an idea like this. I mean, it's phenomenal. So tell us a little bit about what's happening now and what is entailed in your policy. The idea ended with four points. So it's raising awareness, implementing training, enhancing policies and procedures and how to obtain lending opportunities for sufferers and survivors that have poor credit due to no fault of their own. So throughout, even though I was doing this idea and working hard on the competition, I was adamant that I wanted to start putting these things in place. And the competition's all about putting it in the bank that you work for. But I was like, this needs to go broader than that. And I knew this idea would. But I started with my workplace. So raising awareness, I started doing talks um, for like Time to Talk week. Um, I did different talks. I shared my story to loads of different departments within the bank, within the UK and Ireland. And it was just so the amount of lovely comments that I got from people, you know, domestic abuse was never spoken about in the bank and it was just like wow so I started raising awareness like that I had my social media platform and then because of the competition the platform I had people started reaching out and was like can you do a talk for this can you do a talk for this domestic abuse charity um I did a talk to HM Treasury the FCA all different things like this and it was like wow and all these amazing people I was meeting it was so exciting so I still do obviously a lot of raising awareness I do loads of different talks to anyone and everyone really because I do think it's not just in banking it can be everywhere there um, and then I write different blogs I'm in the magazine for the Charter Banker Institute frequently I'm also a mentor now for the Charter Banker Institute to empower females in banking to apply for the Young Banker of the Year. Because it's every year. And I saw there was a lack of females. Like even the semi-finals, there was two females, like one being me, obviously. And I was just like, female empowerment. So it's like I mentor females that want to go into the competition. So that's really exciting. And then um, the different sort of training obviously quite a lot of banks at the moment are looking into different training since it's all been spoken about since the competition and surviving economic abuse do a lot of training as we've seen um nicola the founder she's amazing nicola so sharp looking- jeff she's been a guest on my podcast yeah she yes. has she's amazing yeah. yeah she's amazing so 
we're looking at doing training with surviving economic abuse. I do, I've been on loads of different training. I actually suggest people to go and training for Alpha Vesta Community Interest Company, which is run by Lucy Whitaker. Um, I volunteer for her as well, but her training's amazing. And it, if you're in Essex, they're fully funded. So they do it free of charge, which is brilliant for workplaces. Um, and then we're looking at also within the bank that I work for online courses. We have lots of online courses that are mandatory that you must do. And um, one is vulnerability. So we've started putting domestic abuse into them. But I'm looking at doing an online course for domestic abuse solely. So different things like that. And to make sure it's you always refreshed, for, especially for in banking and frontline staff, well-being advocates. So like mental health people and management as well to make sure that people are actually understood they don't have to keep sharing their story or people will be like oh I don't know what domestic abuse is what do I do with this customer or this colleague and um, so that was that and then it was enhancing policies and procedures and this is one of my favorite ones um because the policy I'd read policies from there's one from Vodafone there's one from a different bank outside of the UK um, and there was all different policies and I was looking at them like the government ones and different things like that and I was like some of them I was reading I was like I'm getting bored after the first page because of like the jargon or it was like quite lots of text and I was just like oh, I really don't want that so I worked with my workplace and I said this is what I kind of want to see in it so the policy went live in September 2021 in my work policies normally take like years sometimes in banking because the different places you have to get permission to do it but they ended up doing it within like three months so it'd be ready for my competition final which is amazing so it just says what domestic abuse is different types of abuse the myths on abuse because I think that's really important and then what we can do at work. So my workplace now gives 10 days extra leave. So you can go to them court hearings, police interviews and not take it out of your own holiday. And flexible working, risk assessments for working in work or working from home. And then like signposting and what else that we can do to help. And I think that's really good. And it's there, you know, I've called it a handbook. Um, it sounded a lot nicer than policy and I used it I used it this year myself because of the court hearing for the repossession and it was really easy to use and it was successful in using it so I absolutely loved it so I was like yes perfect um, and then like sort of procedures and different things like that um, I sit on the board at UK Finance where all the banks sit and we talk about how to be consistent across the board and there is a domestic abuse working group. Um, I've also made one in my workplace. It's like, what can we do for customers of the bank to make things easier? I do it as a lived experience because obviously I've been through it. And um, one of the things that I assisted bringing out in our workplace was opening bank accounts. So normally you need ID proof of address. Um, but for instance, if, you're, if you've had to flee a property and you don't have that documentation, and you had a joint bank account and you don't have a personal one, I thought, how are you supposed to do it? So we looked at it and because of the Domestic Abuse Act 2021, you can get a GP letter free of charge to say who you are and your address, temporary, permanent. And I also got one to say that I was experiencing domestic abuse. Um, I provided that to my mortgage bank company. 
Um, so we can now open an account just based on that. And we're working at bringing that out in Ireland as well as making it mandatory in all banks. Wow. And then there's a lot of different work going on in our working group about changing address, like breaking joint bank accounts. Um, without you know permission of the other party and different things like that are working in the pipeline there which is great and then the lending part which is the one part that I was like this is going to take ages and ages to do because you know banking's been set in its ways of if you've got poor credit tough like and I think that's like like that with utility companies and like estate agents when you rent and stuff like that so it's you know very broad but because of the platform that the Charter Banker Institute gave me, I started speaking to the credit referencing agency Equifax. And I got in contact with the CEO of Equifax Account School. And she was like, I've got a brilliant idea. And so we're working on an idea to use the open banking platform to get holistic information on income and expenditure, rather than just looking at a credit scoring. So I've been really working hard on this. And mm-hmm. we piloted it on my own bank account. And I would say, I say in all my talks that I do is like, they look at, it comes up with everything that you spend and it comes up like gambling. So it includes just like the lottery, for instance. And I was like, wow, I spend a lot on the lottery. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. but, um, it, we piloted on me and it come back positive that I'd be able to borrow um, lending due to income and expenditure. So now we're looking at next steps of how we can put that into different like credit policies in banking. So they can be case by case basis. So I'm really excited about that because then one day maybe I'll be able to get another mortgage, um, which is great. And then since then, I do lots of different volunteering with different charities. Um, I get so many different opportunities. I work really, really hard, but it's all worth it. And I just love what I do. Oh, well, I mean, your passion for this just shines through. And I think you know, you've been to the depths of despair with this and you know the pain. And I think when you've done that and you know you've turned that into what is your true superpower right now, right? And you're out there and, you know, you've got wings and you're flying with it, which is amazing. And it's great to see people in, in positions of power as well, sort of helping you along the way and supporting you because this is such, you know, much needed, much, much needed. I mean, there's so much... So much good stuff you're doing there. And, and it's great that it's helping you too, you know, because sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to be the pioneer of things that don't really help you, It's it, but it helps people coming through. But it's really lovely that it's helping you too, Rosie. I mean, it's such a phenomenal story. And I know you're helping many, many people. I know many of my listeners right now as well will be thinking, gosh, phenomenal. How do people find you, Rosie? Where can they go to find you to find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, so I have LinkedIn, which is Rosie Lyon, L-Y-O-N. Um, I always write that out because when I work for an Irish bank, lots of people have the same last name as me, but with an S on the end. Mine's not got an S on the end. Um, and then I also have Instagram and Twitter, which is Rosie S-D-V-A, all one word, stands for Rosie. S, my middle name, Sarah, and D-V-A is Domestic Violence and Abuse. And then on them sort of social medias, they have links to different things. So different webinars I'm doing that you can sign up for. Most of them I do with free of charge anyway. So, yeah, so it's all there. Oh, it's amazing. And you are amazing, Rosie. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing. 
and you're still on your journey. I know your ex is still there, isn't he? And he's, you're still going through that post-separation abuse, but you're doing it with a smile on your face and you are standing up and empowering thousands of people all around the world. So thank you. Oh, you're very, very welcome. I just have one last question, actually, is that I want yeah. to ask you. I ask all my guests this. My podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And it's important to know, I think, what happiness is for you as you go along some of these rough journeys that you've been talking about, you know. So what is happiness for you, Rosie? I think happiness for me personally is all about self-love and self-care, but it's also about making other people happy. Um, And just make it like, you know, when people come to me, and they say to me, like, I've been following your story, your journey, and everything you do, it gives me the motivation to leave my abusive relationship or all the support that I get. Or people come and tell their story to me because they feel that they can, even though they don't really know me. That makes me extremely happy. Oh, well, I can tell you, you've made me extremely happy and I know lots of my listeners who are listening to this very happy. You're very inspiring. Your story is empowering and inspiring in itself. And you are fabulous. So thank you, Rosie, for being a fabulous guest. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to head on over to at Rosie SDVA on Instagram or Twitter or at Rosie Lyon on LinkedIn to follow Rosie and find out more about what she's up to. And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com, where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness. Happiness.